What's up everyone and welcome to episode 55 of the Justin Insight podcast. Uh, my name is Tim Birkbeck, I am a writer, I am a lover of films, music and wrestling. But most importantly of all, I am your body and vehicle through this podcast. Uh, now firstly, I need to apologise that there was no episode last week. Um, it was meant to be one of our wrestling roundtables as uh, we had the WWE Elimination Chamber event uh, last Sunday. Sorry, I'm getting my dates confused. Um but due to my day job being insanely busy for the last two and a bit weeks, um, my body decided, yeah, I'm going to go to bed at 10 o'clock every single night. Um, so I literally got home to do, because obviously with the uh, wrestling shows we'd record on the Monday night, uh, got home from band practice, was ready to go, um, and I crashed out. And that was end of it. So there was obviously, by the time things would have gone it would have been later and obviously Raw and Smackdown would have gone on so it just wasn't worth it I'm babbling but yeah that's the reason there was no podcast last week but we're back again this week and we have an awesome guest um on other podcast related things uh just wanted to say a massive thank you for all the incredible feedback from the Jamie Lenman episode um it was a lot better than I expected obviously for such a short chat loads of people really dug it so as I said on that episode, I really hope to get Jamie back on again uh, some some other time down the line and, and get a bit longer with him, which would be uh, awesome. But yeah, um, apart from working, haven't really been up to much that I can kind of tell you guys, to be honest. Uh, took my parents to go see Miss Saigon, which was really entertaining. The production of it was incredible. Like The, the set designs were phenomenal and all the kind of changes were just completely seamless and smooth um so if you're in southampton i'd recommend going see that at the mayflower theater um if you're so fancy i did a review for work so you can check that out at basingslipgazette.co.uk yeah get, get me them hits um but yeah apart from that i've just kind of been doing sort of uh band stuff recently we've done a couple of cool cool things recently that i uh, can't announce just yet but will hopefully be sharing with everyone very soon um but something i can share with you is that um my band the divorcee if you if you're not aware i'm the the, the vocalist of the divorcee um we're playing washed out festival again in brighton this year uh, we played it last year and it was really cool got to play it with uh, some of our really good friends in let it die uh never and rough hands so yeah we're playing that again this year and the lineup again is just looking ridiculous there's some really awesome bands on there um, so yeah, that, that's happening on uh, April 13th and 14th, uh, I believe we're on the Friday on the 13th, not quite sure what venue we're playing yet, or with who, but that's that's all I can say for now, because that's all the information I have. Um, but yeah, uh, speaking of awesome bands, my guest this week is uh, guitarist and vocalist uh, of Svalbard, Serena Cherry. Um, now I know Svalbard were the very first guests of this podcast uh, but Serena wasn't actually there on that occasion. Um, plus, I think she has a really interesting story to tell. So I was really glad to kind of have the opportunity to sit down with her one-to-one and kind of talk things through. Um, I've known Serena for a number of years now. Uh, I consider her quite quite a close friend. So it was nice to kind of also get an insight into her musical background, which I knew like from knowing Serena. It was quite eclectic, but not to the extent that she reveals during during the chat. Uh, 
we also experience uh sorry we also talk about her experience of, of touring for the first time uh how sort of the new material for Svalbard is very kind of heart on the sleeve for her personally um and we also get to talk about Serena's other love which is roller coasters which uh as soon as I bring up that that subject uh, there was a massive smile come across her face which was awesome um but yeah please sit back uh enjoy the chat that I have with Serena from Svalbard and I'll see you on the other side Cool. cool. Uh, joined in the Mother's Ruin in Bristol by uh, guitarist and vocalist of Svalbard, uh, Serena Cherry. Um, I'm not going to say like how you doing because we've been spending the whole weekend together <laughs> and we've been out in the cold, in an office, now in a pub. So it's been a pretty eventful weekend. But thank you for for taking the time to speak to me, Serena. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, as I said, like I've kind of changed how things are done on on my podcast this time around. So looking a bit more in depth to sort of the musicians and stuff and like where their kind of influences and background kind of come from especially in the alternative scene so give us a, an insight of how you kind of got into alternative music in the first place oh wow oh my gosh <laughs> uh, i have to uh drag myself back to 2000 the, the millennium yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh so Oh, wow, where to start? Well, me and my sister used to play um, MTV sports snowboarding on the, okay. on the PS1. Yeah. And it had a soundtrack, which I guess it's kind of a bit like how Tony, Tony Hawk's Hawks skateboarders yeah, yeah. got a lot of people into it as well. The MTV sports snowboarding soundtrack had Fear Factory and Oh, Face really? That's Face. pretty cool. Yeah, and like loads of different, it was really diverse um, soundtrack. And I remember hearing the Fear Factory song and just being like, oh my God, <laughs> he, he's shouting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's really angry <laughs> and stuff. And uh, I went out and I bought Obsolete with oh, my nice. uh, paper round money. My, I've got a funny story about Obsolete. So, you, is it Obsolete or the one before? Is that the one that's got Head Crusher on it? Edge Crusher, yeah, yeah. 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 So my dad, being a proper pompy lad, hearing because my brother had that record mm-hmm. he- hearing that so he'd go around the house going on your head tosser so that was <laughs> that was his reference to fear factory that's amazing yeah, yeah. i think that would catch on at football matches <laughs> but wow. yeah sorry i interrupted yeah no that's a good that's a worthy interruption there uh one point to you <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah got bought that record and um started reading kerrang magazine and uh, I made friends with someone at my dance class who wore a Green Day hoodie. Okay. And she had, uh, you know, the full cable package with uh, what would have been MTV2. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before Kerrang! TV. So MTV2 was your place to go for uh, sort of heavy rock videos. Yeah, yeah. And I saw some Slipknot videos. Okay. The one uh, Spit It Out where yeah, they yeah. impersonate The Shining. And uh, straight away I was transfixed, as I think. <laughs> pretty much every 12 to 13 year old was at that time Uh, bought that record with more paper around (laughs) 
and I became obsessed okay. with Slipknot. I was absolutely my email address was Slipknot are my life at hotmail.com. <laughs> yeah, I was obsessed. <laughs> and I remember there was a Slipknot special magazine and it was really hard oh, to okay. get hold of. It came with free Slipknot stamps. I it came out that. in probably like the summer of two thousand. Oh, maybe right. maybe a bit later. Um, and it had a sort of really in-depth profile with each Oh, okay, member. that's pretty cool. I don't remember that. It was really good, and they were they listed all their albums that influenced them. And yeah. Got, they got really into, and so obviously I went out and bought all of those. Yeah, yeah. So, and I always think that that's where part of my eclectic taste yeah. come from because I am I, I don't particularly identify with one genre yeah I always just kind of go oh wow this is amazing this is amazing yeah I'm yeah not so worried about stuff that fits the cookie cutter yeah mold. yeah um but I remember reading Joey's article and he listed nuclear assault the right fashion yeah band, so I went I bought handle with care <laughs> uh faith no more Mr Bungle and basically I just went out and because my mum's a record collector. She oh, okay, that's pretty cool. Record fairs. Oh, yeah. awesome. So she took me to a record fair and I found all these things on tape for about yeah. 75 people. Awesome. Um, <laughs> and I had this just weird, sort of, I think back to it now, this weird starter collection. Yeah, yeah. Of sort of, you know, Faith No More, Nuclear Assault, Slipknot. It, it went all over the place. And um, yeah, I used to have my little Walkman and I'd do my paper round to those tapes. And then gradually I think I think this is a progression that's quite common yeah um, for people who grew up with new metal and who grew up with that aesthetic yeah yeah the image was kind of just as much as important as yeah the music yeah of course was. I then obviously made the uh, transgression to black metal yeah. because <laughs> the image is just as important if not sometimes more yeah. in the band and I think the thing that really grabbed me with black metal so I we're talking like I'm about 15 now. Okay, that's quite a young age to kind of get into black metal, I think, because yeah. I didn't really kind of, wasn't really aware of it, I don't think, until maybe like 17, 18, when I was sort of in college and like there was more people that were just wearing like the obscure band t-shirts. You're like, oh, who's that? And you go check it out sort of thing. So yeah. it's quite a young age to, to get into it. I think it. it's because I used to go to a lot of gigs on my own and we used to have a venue in Bristol here called The Full Moon. Okay. And I would literally go to anything that had a spiky logo. Nice. I'd see a black <laughs> and white high contrast flyer in the record shop replay, which doesn't exist anymore either. And I'd see the flyer and I'd be like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> I'll check that out. And I just ended up sort of, you know, you notice the same band t-shirts. I remember yeah, yeah. Wages of Sin by Arch Enemy coming out. Um, yeah. I remember the release of that album so clearly because you would go to these gigs and everyone was talking yeah, about yeah. it. Everyone was talking, and it is, it's a great album. Yeah. I still listen to it all the time. Um, so I just remember picking up on these certain things just through being at gigs and, um, I remember seeing a local black metal band cover an immortal song. Oh, okay. And I went, whoa, <laughs> hang on a second, this is this is tasty. So I had At the Heart of Winter on tape, which nice. I also used to do my paper round. <laughs> <laughs> the paper rounds sort of been the, the thread yeah, throughout yeah. The, uh, the music taste. Um, and, but I think the thing that really drew me into black metal as much as sort of the look and the kind of almost like, cartoon when I look back on it now it's, yeah. it's cartoonish Satanism and yeah stuff. yeah 
was actually the DIY aspect of it. Like, okay. I loved that Burzum just recorded all this stuff with a drum machine yeah, yeah. and a four track because suddenly to me that made it something I could do as well. Yeah, yeah, so, I get that. Yeah, like that was really, really appealing to me. It was like, hey, like I can hear everything. I can hear how this was formed. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the it's not beat. like high sort of expensive studio high production and yeah, things like that exactly it was it's quite co sort of down to earth and, and gritty but yeah like it has that kind of majesty that carries through mm. I, I think especially the first Burzum album so that really captivated me um, and I also at the same time which I think kind of goes hand in hand I got really really into Mortis um, <laughs> nice. I used to have a tattoo of him on my arm okay since been covered up <laughs> um because well again he he was an emperor back yeah, in, yeah. in the early days and then he branched off and did his solo dungeon synth yeah. music which I just ah oh, I love it yeah. I love it so much I still listen to it all the time now it's amazing it's so um, theatrical mm. and dark and just you know it basically sounds like you know a soundtrack to Lord of yeah, Rings yeah. basically yeah. It's, it's incredible and I I really got into that kind of um, imaginative storytelling mm. uh, folk kind of side of black metal and, and symphonic yeah. metal as well so yeah ended up kind of veering off on that tangent but I think I grew quite disillusioned with extreme metal quite quickly okay. um, because I would go to festivals like um, Inferno in right. Norway and Wacken in Germany yeah. and just not be treated very nicely yeah, yeah. and I remember having a really bad experience seeing obituary at Wacken where like guys were kicking mud in my face That's and now. yeah it was just really like super unwelcoming yeah, at the time yeah. it might be different now yeah. I've not been for ten over 10 yeah, years yeah. but at the time you were treated as a girl you were treated with so much suspicion you, yeah like, like a massive outsider kind oh, of thing oh yeah and like people would genuinely question you like oh yeah you're wearing a t-shirt of this one what's your favourite album and you'd be like well it's this album yeah like, yeah clearly like <laughs> you know but they would treat you as if oh I remember someone saying oh you're only saying that because your boyfriend um, yeah yeah and I'd be like actually he's not into metal yeah so, yeah um, yeah it was I, I felt so Unwelcome and like you were just constantly being challenged and constantly mm. being questioned. Uh, that I remember coming home, especially from that whack that would have been whack in 2007 where the obituary incident happened. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And just going, I don't want to look like these people anymore. Yeah. So I sold all my band t shirts. And at the same time, I mean, as I said before, I've always been eclectic I yeah. think, with my taste because my mum's a record collector. She used to play me all sorts of yeah, stuff yeah, of course. from the 60s to the present day. And so there was always like bits of indie, bits of noise, bits of shoegaze kind of oh, that's mixed awesome. in with my taste just through her yeah, and yeah. things. Um, then I gradually sort of just expanded out to to stuff like that. Mm. Um, and more kind of, I started playing in an art rock band when I was 19. Oh, okay. With, um, Lou from Caves. Oh, okay. And uh, Matt from Beak, their band I'm with not, the guy from Portishead. Oh yes, yeah, 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 I know the band. So yeah, we were um, we were a strange band. We supported Tom from Space. Remember Space? Yeah, yeah weird. We supported his new band. Well, before we kind of get into oh, you, sorry. sorry, no, 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 it's pretty good. But like, obviously, I want to get into sort of your how you kind of got into playing music as well. But from 
something I like to ask as well is what people's sort of first gigs were, but it kind of sounds like yours were very different from a lot of people that are maybe in the punk scene now that they kind of started with, I don't know, maybe popular bands and then kind of emigrated into DIY, but you kind of sound like you were in that kind of metal scene from an early age. So what was the first kind of no gig of note that you can remember going the, to? The first, well, the first gig of, ooh, of note. I remember going to, ooh, I thought you were gonna say played. Um, <laughs> we'll get damn. there. <laughs> um, uh, oh God. Let me think, I'm thinking back. Oh blimey, this is a, <laughs> this is a hard one. There's a few that are just circling in my head, yeah. but I can't remember pinpoint the exact dates. So I'll say I remember seeing Dragon Force okay. at the Full Moon, which oh, is nice. just a pub. Yeah, it's yeah. The same size as this pub we're sat in now. It didn't even have a stage. It had like a step. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. I actually only went because the support band was right. some crazy power metal band that I just wow, I loved them. When okay. I was fifteen. I, the guitar solos and I thought were just. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, I remember that gig really, really well. Um, and before that, back in the sort of new metal days, I saw Kitty um, on their I first UK tour. I weirdly listened to um, the guy from Silverstein does a podcast, mm. and it's, uh, he speaks to like vocalists and stuff. And he spoke to the vocalist from Kitty. I didn't realise they were still going. Yeah. But like they've apparently done like the ten year anniversary DVD yeah. and stuff. I was like, that's, I remember listening to them like. When they first came out, I didn't even realise it was still a thing. They did a pledge campaign for that 10-year yeah, yeah, anniversary. Yeah. And some of the things on it were really good because it was they're making like a documentary about yeah, it. And yeah. I think they did a book. And I remember looking at it thinking, oh, that's all really interesting. Like, that yeah. is stuff I genuinely want to know yeah, about. Yeah. I mean, I feel musically I wouldn't listen. Like, I, like, <laughs> yeah. I think the first album's got a real teen angst yeah. charm. And then the second album, Oracle, was quite heavy, which was good. But then um, it sort of uh, veered off um, in a direction that wasn't really my to my taste yeah, yeah. anymore. But um, you know, I think they were massively influential yeah. on me when uh, as a teenager. And I remember going to see them on their first UK tour. And uh, this was back when everyone used to wear those. Remember, like the beaded bracelets, like oh, black yeah, beads yeah, yeah. and stuff. And I remember taking mine off and giving it to the singer Morgan while she was on stage, and she oh. she put it on, and I was like, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> My new best friend. <laughs> so when when did you kind of start picking up music yourself? Like, because obviously people will know you from stuff of playing guitar and vocals. So. Which came first? Was it guitar or did you want to sing or how did you kind of get into playing music yourself? Well, I started playing the piano aged four. Oh, okay. So very young sort <laughs> really of getting young, into it. Really young, yeah, because my sister, who is a year and a half older than me, started playing. Right, um, okay. I was always like, I want to do what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. And even though I'm... I was like that with my brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's always playing catch up. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, she had just started and I was so jealous, even though the teacher was like, well, four is a bit young yeah. to, to learn. But I just insisted and um, and I started playing too, but I um, would get in loads of trouble. Um, we used to do like grades and, and um, you know, a Stedford, which is like concert piano yeah, competitions where they pit all the children against each mm. other, which I'm sure reflecting back <laughs> on that now was yeah. all sorts of pressure and hell. Um, but they um oh where was i going with that 
Bloody, I just I just spiraled then into all of the <laughs> you losing had a streaks yeah. that I had. Um, oh yeah, that was it. I kn- I did really badly, especially with my piano teacher, because I play by ear. Right. Okay. I can read music. Yeah. But it wasn't natural to me to play like that. It wasn't natural to me to sit down and read the thing first. Mm. If they went, oh we're going to learn this song today. If I knew the song already, I would just sit there and try and play. And they're like, right. oh, no, you can't do yeah, that. It's, yeah. it's against the rules. I'm like, why? I'm halfway there now. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't even need to look at the sheet. But I love playing by ear. And that's one of the things that's been the best thing about being in Svalbard mm. is that when we write together, I listen to Liam's riffs and I just play Pick by ear. Pick up from that, yeah. Exactly, whatever I f- think I want to want to go with that. So that's been really really nice in that respect but um yeah so i started playing piano uh then i moved on to violin okay uh, oh wow multi-instrumental then <laughs> yeah but i'm not as good as liam on violin have you heard liam i haven't violin? yet but i've heard he's very good <laughs> he is absolutely incredible a violin um i think he's actually playing violin in the band tomorrow, tomorrow yeah now so i'm really looking forward to seeing that live um then I didn't actually start with guitar. I started with drums oh, okay. because I wanted to be Joey Jordison. Oh, of course, yeah. And uh, I found it a bit frustrating because my drum teacher was very much like, "You must learn the rudiments. Yeah, yeah. You must learn all the snare rolls and the blah and the boring. Yeah, and yeah. How to hit all the cymbal in the correct places. And, and you just wanted to smash drums. Yeah, I just <laughs> wanted to play double kick. Yeah, that yeah. That was it. That was. I was like, but I, I want to sound like this guy. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's you know, that's setting the bar impossibly yeah. high for yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did. I had drum lessons for about a year, um, and then much to my mum's disappointment after you know supporting me yeah. in that uh, hobby um, I said oh no I want to play guitar now she's <laughs> like right you're on your own yeah, yeah. but I think the best thing that you can do with a teenager 13 14 year old years is old say that. is say that is discourage them because then they go oh, I want to do it more yeah, I'll show yeah. you yeah <laughs> so yeah, I saved up all again, paper, paper round, round. <laughs> yeah. all my paper round money for abs- I mean, it must have been like over a year to yeah. buy this crap guitar <laughs> for £99 from the music shop in town. And uh, oh my God, it was so shit. And I couldn't afford an app. Right. So I would just play not plugged yeah, in, yeah. which I think, reflecting back now, was a really, really good way. Oh, okay. To teach myself because if something sounds good when you're just playing and yeah, you don't well, I guess, have yeah. amplification or effects, then it teaches you to be really harsh on yourself for writing. Yeah. And because my mum, you know, she said you're on your own with this one. I didn't have guitar lessons. Yeah. I just taught myself. I never learned anyone else's songs. I didn't sit down and learn a Slayer song oh, or okay. anything. I just taught myself kind of going, Well, this is the shape that he's making in that music video <laughs> kind of thing. And in a way, that was really good because it made it my instrument. Like yeah. It made it more personal because I just figured everything out for myself. And then I remember um, about seven, eight years later, I joined a prog band. I was, oh, okay. in, I was in a prog band. <laughs> so was that kind of your, your first band? No, no, I'm skipping ahead here. Okay, no, no, no. Just for effect. Yeah. Because this band had three guitarists, no vocalists. That's how prog we right, were. Right, okay. And... Um, uh, we when we had the third guitarist join, he was a guitar teacher. Oh, okay. And he turned up and he went, 
he was just flabbergasted and he went you play guitar all wrong like everything you do is wrong <laughs> you hold your plectrum wrong you don't have any concept of scales or like how where things are supposed to be you're playing something up here when it should be down there kind of thing and uh, I felt quite proud when he said that yes I don't play like everyone else who's had the lessons from you so uh, yeah um, that was uh, how I started um, yeah it was guitar and then once I found guitar uh, and then I found effects pedals and I got I had a work experience when I was 15 okay. in a guitar shop in oh, town nice. and then I ended up working there until I was 21 oh, wow. <laughs> the Saturday girl yeah which really helped because I would just sit there and play around with all their effects yeah, pedals yeah. and I could get to know all that stuff without paying yeah you know I could figure out which amps were good and which guitars I liked without like going oh well I'll, I'll spend money on this yeah. I could just keep trying while I was at work mm. which was um really instrumental yeah, to yeah. make a bad fun <laughs> in um in like getting better as yeah, a guitarist yeah. and learning I mean I just that seminal moment when I discovered the reverb <laughs> and suddenly I, I felt like I could play <laughs> so you well we'll go back a little bit so well what was the first kind of band that you you were in because again it sounds like you've been in in a very eclectic kind of mix of bands so we'll we'll take a, a quick trip down memory lane so tell me bands from from first to how we we got up to Svalbard okay uh, the first band I was in was a black metal band that awesome. I started myself I borrowed a four track from the singer from Amputated and I um, borrowed a drum machine and I programmed it and basically exactly the same as Burzum awesome. I just sat there and wrote an EP um, and I'm not going to reveal the name <laughs> of this stuff because <laughs> I mean I stand by some of the riffs still but like yeah you know you you're only a teenager yeah, once yeah, aren't you of course. Um, <laughs> so I did that I did three EPs um just myself making these black metal uh, releases and then I advertised for a live band and I built a live oh, okay, band awesome. around that and we um, did some shows we played with Devil Sold His Soul oh, and, that's uh, awesome. Nacked Mystium and which was amazing I love them and Gengatron and well yeah that leads, that's me, awesome. leads me back to my first ever gig yeah. was that band my black metal band supporting Gal Hammer the Japanese black metal that's band that's awesome yeah it was um, did, you, did you corpse paint or uh, no. Not traditionally. Right, okay. No, because by that point I was a little bit like, ooh, you know, I'm eclectic. I don't, yeah, don't yeah. want to fit the mould. Yeah, yeah. The cookie you so, wanted to be your own kind of thing. Yeah, there was one show where I painted myself all green. Awesome. Um, there was other shows where like, we, I'd always kind of just experiment with makeup and different looks and like not traditionally look, you know, straightforward yeah, black yeah. metal. We never really looked like that. Um, but we did some really embarrassing photo shoots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, did that band. I did that for a couple of years. Um, and then gradually, I think when you're teenagers and people sort of go through some people, for some people, things like black metal is a transient yeah thing. yeah and they go through it and then they go to university and they find their independence and go oh no i'm not interested yeah, in that yeah. anymore so we went through a lot of different band members right and then i think it reached a point where it was just like right like i will play this to bed sort of thing yeah, yeah yeah so so did the last gig with that and then i joined 
the prog band yeah. which I was in for a few years we were finalists for the Bloodstock Metal oh, to the really Masses awesome. yeah <laughs> we didn't win um, <laughs> <laughs> at the same time as doing that I was doing the art rock band yeah. Yoshi we were called um, and that that's was, an awesome name <laughs> that was my first experience of touring oh, okay, so we awesome. did like uh, yeah bits of UK tours and things and that was a really fun band. Yeah. I loved being in a band with Lou. I loved being in a band with Matt. And it was just great. Like, yeah. It just worked. And it was sort of... Because all of us are quite eclectic and have different tastes, mm. we would just come to the room and just play whatever. Yeah, and yeah. Things. It wasn't... It was really free and open to mm. whatever the songs were going to be. So I really, really enjoyed that. But obviously we all ended up doing other bands. Yeah. And, and we just... Yoshi kind of had to be put together. Yeah, of course. Because of that. Sorry, I really need to cough. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Edit that out. Um, <laughs> but uh, what was after that? Oh, it gets a bit blurry. Oh, yeah. In all of this time as well, um, I was doing a solo project okay. called Squeeze Me Macaroni. Um, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> which is named after the Mr. Bungle song. Um, and the f my first ever... This was when I discovered loop stations and layering right. and noise and it all got a bit indulgent. Okay, that's, there's nothing wrong with that if you're doing it solo, though. That's the, kind of the whole point of it, isn't it? <laughs> well, someone filmed my first ever solo set under that name and put it on YouTube and the first comment was, Mike Patton would be turning in his grave <laughs> if he was dead. I was like, wow. That's, that's a glowing review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then I ended up um, sort of carrying on. I did five albums and under Squeeze Me Macaroni, that name, and then I ended up sort of turning it into a mopey singer-songwriter right, okay. thing and it, I did like a Towns Van Zandt cover and a Nick Cave cover mm. and I wrote um, a load of just sort of me and my guitar yeah. sad lyrics kind of no, thing it's, it's still all up online yeah. um, and I'm still quite proud of, of that those yeah. things that I did myself like one day I'll probably come back to it yeah yeah in case of having the time <laughs> yeah. I've just realised I've forgotten what my first actual music <laughs> Before I did the black metal band, I did three albums under the name Redaxian, which is okay. the name of the castle in Alex the Kid and Miracle World. Oh, yeah. On the Sega Master System. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did three synth albums, basically just ripping off Mortis. Nice. Um, and yeah, again, like because I really love soundtrack music now and I really love theme park music. Yeah. I would really love to find those old tapes yeah, that I yeah. made and go through them and like try and pick out all the bits because, um, yeah, uh, my sister had a keyboard where you could layer different sounds. So I used to put it on the sh obviously strings, piano. Yeah. That's all you need, and just layer up loads of you know dungeon gothic <laughs> synths and things. Um, so that was actually the first recorded. Yeah. music stuff that I did but final oh, oh no no delete delete the black metal band that didn't have a name <laughs> uh, was the thing that came after that, that yeah you know was the first band that I played live with and actual had people in um, yeah with me um so the solo stuff and then right so we're up to about early 20s now with the solo stuff yeah and then uh, when I was doing oh yeah that's how I met Liam Oh, okay. So I was playing a solo show for Squeeze Me Macaroni in Bath, and the headlining band is a band called Anto, a prog right. band, really, really amazing band. And Liam was driving their van, uh, okay. and he turned up and he was wearing a Dying Fetus t-shirt. Nice. 
So I was like, oh, I'm going to... Yeah. I was like, hi. Yeah, yeah. I like them too. And uh, I played the gig. And then, you know, that was that. And then we formed our... I don't know if you ever heard our two-piece band. I did, yeah. We did before Svalbard, Winston Egbert, two-piece thrash with me on drums and vocals and Liam on guitar and vocals. And that was really fun. That was just, yeah, just joke yeah, thrash yeah. music and then we met Mark yeah um and Svalbard became what it was is born. yeah yeah well I think you've kind of sort of covered a f- quite a large sort of scape of it and uh, compared to other people I've had to kind of make it out of people so it's nice that you've kind of oh, sorry. Had, no 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 it's really good that you've kind of have this kind of pinpoint sort of periods of time and I think like obviously we met when you did that tour with Dar Wars. That was yeah. when we first met. And like to kind of, because obviously I've, I've got to know you over the years, so I know like your sort of taste and things, but a lot of people I think just kind of see Svalbard as they are now. So maybe don't know the the sort of background to it. And I think like, I don't know, it might, might just be because I'm an outsider, but the music you play doesn't necessarily relate to some of the things that have clearly sort of influenced oh, you. Oh yeah, definitely. So, do you think that, like, I don't know, when you're kind of coming into, like, writing Svalbard stuff, do you kind of have a set sort of mindset that you're like, right, this is, I'm writing for for Svalbard now, or is, or, or are you still kind of like cherry picking? Much sorry, the pun cherry picking, but like, <laughs> like parts of like bits of black metal, bits bits of art rock, and kind of all squeezing it into one. Um, I feel that Liam has the very set idea okay. of how he wants Starbucks to sound. He's one of those people who's like, he's a visionary. Right. To yeah. tab. <laughs> we got two visionaries in the band. No, he's he's a visionary who kind of has this grand idea of mm. how he wants it to sound, and he writes the baseline riffs. And I am the opposite. I'm going, what if we put this in? Yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't work. What if we put this in? No, it doesn't work. So I, yeah, I am the one that's kind of throwing in all the different sources right, into okay. the mix and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't <laughs> but I never turn up for practice going I've got an idea that sounds like a Svalbard song yeah. because to me I like I don't really I, f- I would find it quite hard to pigeonhole what we are yeah no no I agree with that and because I just write leads I'm mainly always thinking about what works with Liam's parts yeah. I'm always thinking about kind of oh how how can we make that bit bigger how can mm. you make that bit sing out but I am I'm to be brutally honest with you I don't listen to the kind of music that we play yeah no no, no no I'm much more inspired by yeah like soundtrack music and theme park music and um power metal <laughs> I think yeah, I remember Alex Fitzpatrick saying that everyone's sort of always really fascinated by the things that you can't do yeah and I'm always that's maybe that virtuosity of someone like Herman Lee and Dragonfly yeah. why yeah. I, I'm to me that's so amazing because yeah. I can't play like that whereas to someone like Liam that's like oh well it's just this this and this yeah yeah you know he would rather focus on writing other things but it's definitely like we don't have a kind of this is the Svalbard sound yeah no 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 no, I agree with that yeah and obviously like when I spoke to obviously like Liam and that when this podcast first started um Liam was very gracious in saying that you are kind of the lyricist of the band, like, and obviously you're 
all of your lyrics are kind of very sort of articulate and I think we've spoken about this before that you're obviously very influenced by authors and books and, yes. and things like that so obviously well I'm kind, of, I'm kind of skipping ahead myself now but obviously you've got the new record kind of coming out later this year so were there kind of anything particular I know obviously subject matter is a bit different but were there any kind of like texts or anything that you were reading around the time of going into the recording that, that influenced what you were writing? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Basically everything Catelyn Moran has ever no, written. Of course, yeah. Abs I love her writing style. I love and agree with pretty much everything she says ever. I think she's amazing and a huge uh, influence on me, but I really liked the boldness and directness with which she approaches mm. um, a lot of issues. Um, so I kind of, as I was reading those books, I went, well, I want to take this and I want to apply it to lyrics. Like, I want it to be as clear and yeah. as plain, black and white, you know, um, there's no sort of poetry or ambiguity around the points you want to make. Because I think there's a lot of metal that is about things, but you wouldn't know that it was about that. Yeah, yeah. Because it's kind of hidden in syllables and <laughs> yeah. poetry and long words and it's it's kind of obscured by the language and I really wanted especially with this album to strip away all of that and almost to strip away the kind of emotive yeah. side and just be straightforward uh, feminist politics basically yeah. um, but it's not the whole album isn't um, feminist there are other topics as mm. well but the, the main approach would be absolutely clear topics and no ambiguity yeah. at all but Catelyn Moran was a huge um, influence on that I'm just trying to think I mean this is super obvious but David Mitchell <laughs> <laughs> oh god I love David Mitchell I think one of the ones that was really inspiring was I actually went to see him do a talk oh, awesome. about his book backstory when it came out and someone he did a Q&A and someone asked him um, how do you feel about women on panel shows yeah and he was saying about um basically whenever his wife, Victoria Collin, mm. gets asked to go on panel shows, she's asked to make up the female numbers. Oh, really? Not because she's funny. Yeah, yeah. And he was sort of saying it's, it's um, you're restricted by people who define you by your gender yeah, rather yeah. than by your merits. Mm. And it was just the way that he'd worded that which in inspired an entire song okay. on the album because I think he's so succinct yeah. and really knows how to, to make a point, which is something I kind of envy <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. admire. Um, yeah, so... Well, because obviously you mentioned obviously the, the sort of direct message of sort of like politics feminism and everything that's kind of rolled into this new record but I, I don't know maybe it's just because I've become more aware of it through like the music that you put out but I think maybe in the early days like the message I don't mean this in a horrible way but wasn't as clear but do you think that obviously this is going to be your second full length that you as a writer have kind of without this sounding like a pun found your voice kind oh of thing. definitely yeah. definitely I think it's weird, like no band ever comes out perfect straight away. <laughs> yeah. You don't come out perfect knowing exactly what, what you want to play, exactly what you want to sing about. Sometimes you learn through watching other bands. You yeah. learn through reading other people's texts and sort of going, oh yeah, you know, like you can incorporate this, you can incorporate that. So like definitely I feel that there is a huge change lyrically from the new album compared to the first album in the sense that like it was quite a conscious decision for me mm. to go okay right 
we've had this first album which is quite emotive mm. and it's quite sentimental and it's quite sort of it, it's yeah deals a lot more with the kind of depressive um, side of things now let's consciously turn away from that yeah. and sing about other things but yeah like it's definitely an evil oh, I hate to use that word but an evolution <laughs> yeah. um, and like a conscious decision yeah um, to, to sort of make those changes because I don't think you want to start off as a band and go right that's it now mm. I mean Slayer did that and they made a career out of yeah, it yeah. so maybe I'm wrong <laughs> don't maybe we're, we're gonna alien everyone this time round but uh, yeah I don't think you can kind of go oh well that was our first album and this is our formula and that's that we just yeah, need to yeah. keep repeating that I think it's great when bands change direction or change topics mm. or change like I mean it yeah to some people it might seem a bit sort of come out of nowhere like oh well they weren't being directly political before and yeah and yeah. now they are but I do feel like the change has also kind of crept in yeah if you look at songs like open the cages yeah yeah sort of the um the split that we did with this tidal sleep it was starting the message was starting to yeah yeah there. and then even if you look at uh, the 10 inch gone tomorrow um there is there are actually topics to that 10 inch but they're just obscured yeah. with like poetry because sometimes you need to read an author like Catelyn Moran for it to click that it's acceptable yeah, yeah. to do that that it's acceptable to write a certain way or to write lyrics a certain way um, and I also think that um, because I started writing for Terrorizer in the last couple of years that influenced how I wrote lyrics for this band yeah. in the sense of you get sent a lot of music and a lot of lyrics <laughs> yeah. and you go oh wow this is this is all quite samey and yeah. nothing's like jumping out particularly clearly and it made me sort of become obsessed with differing from that yeah, and being yeah. like really clear <laughs> yeah and something I'm interested to kind of get your perspective on this because obviously again it's something I asked Liam but Obviously, with you writing the lyrics, but you kind of split it between the two. Obviously, for you, the the lyrics. I'm not saying they're not for Liam, but obviously you've written them, so they're more kind of personable to you. And maybe, obviously, the the band's view as a whole, but obviously you're kind of the one that's driving it in a sense. So, are there kind of like certain lyrics that you're like, no, I want to sing this, or do you, is it, how do you kind of differentiate which ones you want to sing and which ones Liam sings? We we had to differentiate a lot on this second album okay. because some of it's um, autobiographical, right? Okay, um, which was the first time we've ever had to do that. On the first album, we literally just split them according to whose guitar part was easiest. Okay, because you're thinking about playing it live, and if you're playing a hard guitar part doing vocals at the same time is really difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, I can imagine. So we would just go, oh, okay, you're playing chords there, you do that line, I'm playing a lead there, okay, well, I'll, I'll do this line. Yeah. And um, that was how we used to split it. Mm. There was no kind of um, sort of in-depth process to it, whereas uh, for this album, like to use an example, there's a song about um, sexual harassment at gigs mm. in which I tell the obituary story because oh, there's okay. more to that story. <laughs> um, and it's completely autobiographical I remember when I showed the band the lyrics for the first time mm. they were quite upset like yeah. they were like wow that's horrible yeah, and yeah. that's a horrible kind of story and for ages I worried that I'd ruined the song because okay. the song's quite 
nice. The guitar parts are quite pretty, like musically the, yeah, yeah, the song okay, is good. Yeah. And then I'd just written these really, really stark uh, sort of description of, of an event happening. Um, and I had to take all of the verses because they yeah, were like Liam. It was a bit too he couldn't much sing them. Yeah. yeah, he couldn't sing them because I it was recalling something that had happened to me. So mm. it almost became like a kind of I talk about the experience. Um, he then kind of you know layers on top layers kind of thing. Yeah. And, and sort of yeah gives a sort of broader um, sense to it. So yeah, for the for this second album, especially with a lot of like there's a song about um, abortion rights mm. and there's a song about deconstructing the word feminazi okay and um yeah we sort of we had to think about which bits were coming from me and mm. which bits were like uh coming from him in in a more supportive right role. yeah yeah um so yeah that was and i think like obviously knowing you for for years like obviously that these kind of subjects are something that you're sort of very passionate about talking about and obviously tail end of 2017 beginning of 2018 like everyone is talking about some form of like sexual assault or anything to do with I guess sort of toxic masculinity and so on and so forth and I don't want this to get into like a oh you're a female in a band sort of thing (laughs) but because of the way that you write in your lyrics and like I think just the band in the whole obviously have a very sort of outward view on how they kind of stand on on these issues but do you think that bands like Svalbard need to kind of be that that voice for people that maybe can't necessarily give a voice because if they see I don't know maybe say like a 16 17 year old girl is massively into your band or guys trans whatever and they kind of hear you singing about these these subjects do you think that that's because without this sounding horrible it's obviously like there's a lot of bands that may sing about it but not in the correct way if that mm-hmm. makes sense mm-hmm. so that if you're kind of putting out a message in the right way <laughs> that people will be like oh yeah I can kind of relate to that like I know this a it's not a nice thing to relate to but do you feel that it's important that you're one of those bands that's putting an outward message I think um, it was definitely of the highest importance to me with the second album to have messages that would speak to people and maybe they do that thing on um, on RuPaul's Drag Race when the uh, the queens make it through to sort of the top three yeah, yeah. and they say what would you say to yeah, a yeah, 12 yeah, yeah, year old yeah. you standing here and it's always super emotional yeah. and basically that was my approach to okay. a lot of the lyrics was when I would think about certain experiences that I'd gone through um, as a a girl in a male-dominated scene. Like, mm. let me say now, it's nowhere near as bad as it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Like ten, twelve years ago, it, it was quite tough being yeah. like a girl into metal. You yeah, were met yeah. with a lot of abuse mm. in all kinds of of ways. Um, and part of me now would go, what? What would I say to me now? Yeah. So, especially like to go back to it, the song about. Uh, being sexually assaulted watching a uh, obituary at Wacken 2007 yeah, yeah. is me going you don't need to take that yeah, like, there yeah. are you know there are things that you can do because just at the time oh, Liam's being distracting out the window look at him what is he? he's just bopping around <laughs> great timing there Liam. Um, <laughs> um, was that sort of 
There wasn't many people. Oh, oh my for fuck's God. sake. Now Adam's got some kind of a flashlight head, Adam's got on a his head. head. Torch on. Oh. Um, Just draw the curtains. <laughs> <laughs> um, there wasn't sort of many people going, okay, when this happens, you need to do this. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you tell security, they will listen. You just kind of went, well, I can't see any other girls around me. I can't see anyone who's going to help me out in this situation. So I'm just going to have to kind of take it. Yeah. Because it's all part of kind of getting the dialogue going. Yeah, and yeah. raising awareness and raising thoughts on how these issues um, can be prevented. Like one thing I thought was a real kind of um, important moment was last year when... Mm. Was it... Is his name Sam from Architects? Well, the vocalist. The vocalist who called out the person who. Oh, was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it Sam? Sa- um, Sam Carter. Yes, yeah. yeah. And he called out um, someone in the crowd for harassing a woman. Yes, yeah, yeah, show, yeah. And I thought, wow, finally someone is, someone is like understanding yeah. and seeing what it's like to be from the, from the other perspective. Yeah. Whereas before. Um, you would always feel, especially it's not the same with small shows, it's not the same no, with the no. kind of small shows that Svalbard play but I remember like going to see Motley Crue for my 16th birthday mm. and just people trying to grope you the whole time and you think I am one of the only women here yeah, like yeah. I am surrounded by guys I have entered a male sphere yeah. and I must be punished for that this is my <laughs> fault for being different in a seat, you know, and it's so weird because rock music's meant to be about kind of celebrating different things, yeah, yeah, and yet when you are, you don't fit the exact bill, you, and, yeah, you know, you're not the different that we like, kind yes, of thing, yeah, yeah, exactly. You are not a kind of well built white male with long black <laughs> yeah. hair. What are you doing here? You must be punished. Um, I just think about what would have really helped me, yeah, here then, and that's why it's so direct as well, was because I wanted it to be super clear mm. and just to go okay like you know um with the first album we got quite a, a lot more press than i was expecting yeah i want to use that for something i yeah, don't just yeah. want it to be kind of empty words i want to be saying something that might maybe you know help people who are yeah. in those situations or help people think of you know one thing there's that um that thing that you can do now you see posters for it in bars where you can ask for Angela if you're on like a date that goes a bit oh, really? weird yeah if you meet someone off the internet and they're not who they say they were or they're just harassing you in some way yeah. you can go to the bar and ask for Angela and they'll help you out in like, that's incredible yeah. I didn't know about that and they'll like discreetly call you a taxi and you can get away um, without sort of having to deal with yeah, someone yeah. who might be making you um, uncomfortable and I would really like to see some sort of situation implemented for that at bigger so like rock gigs, concerts. Yeah, yeah. Like it has to be the bigger ones because it doesn't happen at DIY. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen at like Svalbard shows, <laughs> yeah. but at Reading and Leeds, oh, at yeah. places where women get raped and yeah. like groped and things, there needs to be some sort of phrase or hand signal that you can yeah, give to yeah. security, and they know. I'm right, uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, they need something needs to stop here, and yeah. I think surely it can happen but but things like Sam calling out on stage is a really good start yeah well we'll go back on a, a bit of a lighter note before <laughs> yeah, sorry no 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 no, no. it's absolutely fine <laughs> but before we sort of wrap up there's one thing I do want to talk to you about and that's kind of your other love and passion yes. which is theme parks and roller Yay, coasters I thought it would never happen <laughs> <laughs> um, where, where did that kind of sort of start from and, and like because obviously 
for people that don't know Serena, she, is it Coaster Force? Mm-hmm. So goes around all around the world on various different roller coasters, reviewing them, having the absolute time of your life. So how did yeah, how did you get into that? Well, um, it started when I was really young. Um, we would have my family would have our annual trip to Alton Towers oh, right, once okay. a year, and it was always just the happiest day of my life. I think Alton Towers in specifically is a good place to start with theme parks yeah, yeah. because you've got the castle and a lot of the rides are darkly themed which yeah. at the time I just remember like I remember seeing Nemesis um, the, the year it opened 1994 oh, okay. yeah, yeah. and it's themed about this big bony alien yeah, and like, yeah. of blood and I was like oh my god it's so <laughs> dark and mysterious and like to me uh, I've always said like a roller coaster is it's art that you can experience yeah. it's a, this crazy structure that you can then get on and it's going to sort of you're going to feel its narrative through forces. Um, So as a really young age, like I remember, because even that year that I went, um, when Nemesis first opened, I was too young to ride it. I wasn't tall enough, but I just remember staring going, oh my God, like this is, this is crazy. And I was, I was absolutely captivated by the fact that it's like an otherworldly experience in the world. It's like, it's sort of if, uh, like a Jean Baudrillard hyper reality <laughs> yeah. um, and that stayed with me for ages I used to take the map home and draw the roller coasters awesome. and I thought I was just you know some weird kid that liked <laughs> roller coasters more than anyone else yeah, more yeah. than the usual person and then the internet happened and I discovered <laughs> forums and I mean this is the weird thing is it only seems to be sort of coming to light through things like Svalbard now yeah, yeah. Uh, and like social media whereas before like it was my you would only know that about me if you really knew, yeah, yeah. knew me kind of thing um, and yeah I joined the Roller Coaster Club of Great Britain but again had a similar experience to that as I did with metal right why must all my hobbies be played with men yeah saying, yeah you girls don't get it no, no, you only <laughs> like lame disney parks um, so i went on one trip with them and went oh i think i just need to to lurk yeah, on the forums yeah. i think i'm not welcome here and then so i lurked on coaster force and there's um you know like imdb right yeah there's rcdb roller okay. coaster database awesome which is where you plot your trips and it shows oh, wow, where every really cool. coaster in the world is and things so i used to just uh, make little trip plans and read other people's reports and things and then um a couple of years later after i was burned by roller coaster club of great britain i kept coming back to the coaster force yeah. website I thought everyone on there was really fun yeah. and really funny and they seemed to just get it yeah. like they, they got that it was all about fun and you can't take it too seriously yeah, just, yeah. you know if you're gonna have a, a sort of niche hobby just give it all give, give it your all yeah. like, well that's kind really of like me like with like wrestling yeah. like I don't care like if people think it's fake or whatever I love it yeah. so that's all the all the matters exactly and like you can't deny that burst of excitement like when something exciting is happening in wrestling or something exciting is happening in the world of theme parks you know that is instinctive to me so why would I suppress that like why would I squelch that instead you just need to find like minded people who feel the same way so I eventually after years of lurking I joined up to Coaster Force and it kind of it really kicked off from there. That was when I started traveling all over Europe yeah. and to Japan and America um, with like-minded people to ride loads of roller coasters. And it's really interesting, like everyone has different tastes, yeah. everyone likes 
different things. So it's kind of really similar to underground music <laughs> in that yeah. sense. And like, you know, people have the bragging rights of having ridden this mad thing in Russia yeah, that hardly yeah. anyone got to ride kind of thing. But I love it. The only difficulty with it is, now this is going to sound super first world problem, <laughs> is balancing the two hobbies. Yeah, yeah. In the sense of both involve a huge time commitment. Both both involve traveling and going away, and like I'm trying to hold down a real job yeah, at the same yeah, time. So um, you know, like this year, for example, once the album comes out in May, we're going to be touring a lot. Yeah, yeah. But it's also when all the new roller coasters <laughs> open. It's, it's the open season, and it just so happens that bands don't tour at the same time that theme parks don't open. Yeah, yeah. So it's really hard to to sort of. Um, you know, juggle the two, but there's often been a lot of cases where I've made the band stop, <laughs> stop all the places. so that I can uh, ride a roller coaster or two. <laughs> well, before we finish off, give us Serena's top three coasters. Oh, top three. Okay. Um, well, my number one is Mako in SeaWorld, Orlando. It's okay. a fairly new coaster. It's called a hyper coaster, which means it's over 200 foot tall. Oh, wow. Um, it has a really amazing paint job where the paint, the rails and the track, like the box underneath, yeah, yeah. are painted slightly two different colours. Oh, okay, cool. Two different shades of purple so that when you look at it, it catches the light. Right, yeah, and yeah. It's, um, it's really, really amazing to look at. But um, Liam and I went to Florida two years ago and we were lucky enough to go when there was no one there. Oh, awesome. And we rode Mako just over and over again. <laughs> and there's, there's not many, I, I am a coaster enthusiast, but there's not many coasters that I can ride over and over and yeah, over again yeah. without getting a headache or just feeling a bit sick. But Mako is one of them. Like, it's thrilling every time. Yeah. It's exciting every time, but it doesn't make you feel ill. Yeah. So while I admit it's not the most extreme in the world, yeah. especially in the world of roller coasters yeah, yeah. it's just in in my opinion sort of the perfect coaster yeah, yeah. or the most fun which yeah. is what I prioritise yeah. uh, number two would be Takabisha uh, which is in Fujiku Highland in okay. Japan it's the world's steepest roller coaster okay. it is absolutely bonkers <laughs> it has a crazy layout and the obviously the steepness of the drop is 121 degrees Whoa. and it has these tiny little carts that you can fit 8 people on and I went to Japan with uh, eight people. So yeah. there was all of us on this tiny little car. And I just remember the moment of silence. When you were about at to the top. The yeah, yeah, just a little, little moment of silence among all these seasoned roller coaster <laughs> enthusiasts. It's just, yeah, I wish that roller coaster were closer. Yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Because I'd love to keep riding it again. And then my number three coaster is called Phantom's Revenge okay. at Kennywood in America. Okay. I rode this when I was there in June last year and it's this knackered old oh, really? uh, roller coaster that used to have loops and things but they got taken out oh, and they okay. got retracked. So all of us were kind of going, oh God, like what is this crazy contraption? It's gonna, you know, probably ride like shit. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it looks dilapidated yeah. when you look at it from the ground. Got on it, and it's absolutely. There's nothing else like it yeah. in the world. It blew me away. It sort of does this huge first drop, and then goes slightly up a hill, and then does another. <laughs> I just, I mean, that when you've ridden uh, over 500 roller coasters, yeah. you're always looking for that element of surprise. surprise. Yeah, yeah. And Phantom's Revenge totally had it for me. Yeah. Like I was just going. I've never ridden anything like this. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I, I really love the surprise factor of that one. 
Awesome. Well, I'll start wrapping things up now, but um, how I kind of like to end these is to ask the band member I'm speaking to what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, what is your favourite Svalbard song that you like to play live and why? Oh, oh that's easy. Yeah. Um, the Damage Done from okay. the album because um, it's the easiest one to play <laughs> <laughs> and it's a, the oldest in the set. Right, okay. So it's the one where you're super confident. Yeah, like, yeah. I get really, it might not be obvious, but I get really nervous playing okay. and my hands shake and oh, things. Okay. And it's quite hard to play guitar with shaking yeah, hands. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. But the damage done, it's the one where like we, we get it in nice and early and it's like a bit of a confidence booster yeah, for the yeah. rest of the set because you're like, okay, I know this one. I like can headbang. I don't need to think. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, um, my fingers will be in the right place. I don't yeah. need to worry. So that's probably my favourite one. Yeah. And it's got just the riff at the end where everything sounds all big and the yeah. guitars are all reverby. It just makes me smile every time. <laughs> Perfect. Brilliant. Serena, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Sorry I waffled. <laughs> no, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> So there we have it, folks. A massive thank you again to Serena for taking the time to have a chat with me. Uh, I know I say this a lot after these episodes, but I do really enjoy the chats I have with my guests. And every time it's kind of a little bit more insightful. Um, and I just I just love it. It's just really cool. Sort of Some of these people are my friends and it's, it's sort of size of my friends that I don't get to see. So really, really enjoy this. And, and Serena is, again, a prime example of of learning about someone that I've known for for several years, knowing a bit more about her. Um, while I was hanging out with Serena and the rest of Svalbard, uh, they were recording the video for their new song, Unpaid Intern, which I make a little cameo role in, so if you want to go check that out, I'll put the link in the bio of this episode. Um, but as well uh, as announcing the release of their second record, uh, It's Hard to Have Hope. It's been a couple busy couple of weeks for the band, uh, in terms of announcing things, uh, they've announced that they're going on tour with Ohms in May. Uh, I think four four dates, um, and then the awesome Modern Life is War are taking them on tour in June. Um, and me being uh, a spongy little bastard, I've asked if I can tag along. So that is exactly what I'm going to do. So I get to see one of my favourite hardcore bands five days in a row in the UK with my best friends so that's going to be fucking rad um, but yeah as always you can keep up to date with uh, what Svalbard are doing on all various social media platforms uh, on Facebook it's facebook.com forward slash Svalbard UK uh, on Twitter it's at Svalbard Band and then on Instagram it's at Svalbard um, as always you can keep up to date with what we're doing on the show as well on Twitter it's at just underscore and underscore insight uh, or if you want to drop me an email, it's just underscore and underscore insight at hotmail.co.uk. Um, that's it for another week, everyone. Um, I'll make another attempt at doing a wrestling roundtable next week as we have uh, WWE Fastlane uh, next Sunday. Um, but for now, everybody, thank you again for joining me on the Justin Insight podcast, and I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs>